Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to uh, the policy seminar on the African Agricultural Trade Monitor. Um, my name is Julie Kurtz. I'm a research analyst at IFPRI. Uh, it is my pleasure to be moderating this conversation today. As we know, uh, As we know, um, the world is facing trade disruptions during the COVID-19. And against this background, IFPRI and Academia recently launched the third annual Agricultural Trade Monitor, the leading comprehensive report on African trade flows and policies. You can find the report on IFPRI's website as well as Academia's website. And you can read there also a synopsis of the report. We thank everyone who is watching this uh, both live and the recording. Uh, please feel free to submit your questions in the chat box. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at IFPRI Live, and you can um, enter your questions on hashtag AskIFPRI. Ask uh, you can also follow us there on Facebook and LinkedIn. It is my great pleasure to um, uh, open by our, our, with our first speaker, uh, Dr. Usman Badian, who is the Executive Chairperson and Acting Managing Director at Academia 2063. He is also very well known to IFRI as the former Director of Africa. Welcome and thank you, Usman. Thank you, Julie, and Thank you to everybody who's joined us today. Uh, it's a pleasure to join my good friends and colleagues of IFPRI uh, for the seminar today. Uh, let me start by just saying a couple of, weeks, a couple of words about the uh, publication that we are uh, launching here today. The Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor is the only publication dedicated to African agriculture, African agricultural trade, I, I meant to say. We have usually talked about trade as part of a discussion on nutrition, talked about trade as part of a discussion on growth, talked about trade as part of a discussion on climate change, but we have not talked about trade as trade as such and what it means and all the factors behind it. And in any of those different areas, when we talk about trade, with its stress is centrality and how important it is. So we decided three years ago to launch uh, this new uh, flagship product or publication, which we have been pleased uh, to um, continue uh, issuing. And this is the third edition together with our colleagues uh, at IFPRI. Uh, so uh, Academia 2063 and members of the African Growth and Development Policy Modeling Consortium are the force behind uh, this publication. It is edited by a team of three editors, usually one from IFPRI, one from Academia 2063, and a member of AgroDEP. And many of the chapters are co-authors by AgroDEP members. And this is an important point for us because we started AgroDEP African Growth and Development Policy Modeling Consortium 10 years ago to create a critical mass of world-class modelers uh, and economists across Africa who are capable to play in the big league and um, uh, meet the needs of African countries and other constituencies. So we are therefore very happy and pleased to see them here. The report is refreshing, especially this year. 
Uh, you'll hear from my colleagues presenting the uh, progress on the trade front, uh, how much has been achieved over the last few years and how much more uh, is left uh, to be done that we are not playing with our weight in global markets uh, is still a, a reality. We are way much more in the global agricultural economy than we were in global agricultural trade. Uh, on the other hand, what people have been saying for a long time, we need to reach into emerging markets, growing markets or exports, because that's where money is to be made. We are, are making some great strides uh, in there. Uh, but global markets, as good, as exciting as they might be, they are a fraction of the domestic and uh, inter-African markets. We count in tens of billions of dollars uh, the potential for increased global trade. We count in hundreds of billions of dollars the potential in increase in, in demand, uh, internal demand and inter-African trade. So there's no comparison. And there too, um, progress is being made, but so much more that is left uh, to be done. In particular, what you'll hear from my colleagues presenting today, what you also see in the report uh, is a good analysis of what is preventing African countries from playing uh, with their weight in the global uh, trading system, or what is preventing African countries from, uh, from um, capturing more of the intra-African markets and expanding cross-border trade. So this was caught uh, quite a lot that is in, in the report and I encourage everybody to read it. Um, a, um, another interesting uh, part of the report is um, the role that the processing sector is playing now in trade. Uh, for me, that was really a very nice and refreshing new uh, evidence. I've been aware of what the processing sector is doing in terms of leading the transformation of African uh, economies. But for longest of time, we've complained of Africa as being an export of raw materials. Uh, it's now changing a little bit, whether it's global or intra-African trade, the processing sector is becoming a very uh, vigorous uh, partner or uh, an actor uh, in cross-border trade, which is good to see because the processing sector is going to be tomorrow either the barrier between smallholders and the growing African demand or a bridge between the same smallholders and African uh, um, demand in the global, in the urban centers. So where the, the processing sector goes, there with the small uh, holder farming sector will go. So quite uh, important to see both in terms of transforming the sectors as well as in trade, uh, processing is uh, marching on. So finally, uh, the report is you know, acquiring a more uh, a, a sense of urgency now that the African free continental trade area has been um, 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 uh, launched uh, earlier, uh, not launched this year, but the secretariat for it uh, set up in Accra in Ghana. So a lot will be needed in terms of data and analytics to support the negotiations, the implementation modalities, uh, the tracking and the resolution of disputes around trade across countries and so on. So the report, uh, if anything, is going to be more of a valuable tool for the African uh, constituents and stakeholders. I'll stop here and thank everybody uh, for their time for joining us. And again, to thank the editors and the authors who have contributed to this year's edition. Thank you and back to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Badian. I will pass it on now to um, Dr. Anton Buit, who is uh, one of the editors of the report and will offer some additional opening remarks. Anton. Thank you very much, Julie, and, and thank you, uh, Usman, for your comments. I'm, I'm very pleased to uh, make these opening remarks. 
Um, the, the objective of the AATM uh, is each year to collect uh, precise statistics on agricultural and food trade in Africa, and also to construct coherent indicators to, to measure comparative advantage, for example, or degree of trade integration, regionalizations of trade, uh, intensity of tariff barriers, and so on. Uh, it is also, the, the objective is also to formulate policy recommendation concerning food and agricultural trade, trade policy, food security on the continent. Um, the idea is that if anyone interested in these topics ever wonders, for example, how big is Africa's cereal deficit, or another example, what are the main comparative advantage of the African continent, he thinks, well, I'm going to find these statistics in the AATM report. This is the idea. Uh, also, the, the other idea is to formulate policy recommendation. This is really important. Uh, and this year, these policy recommendations concern the pandemic situations, of course, informal trade, but also uh, the current momentum of regional trade integration in Africa. So this is what uh, the AATM report is. Uh, this is an idea of Usman Badian. I really want to thank him for this great idea. Uh, I would like also to insist on the fact that uh, trade indicators that are used to be presented uh, and commented in conferences, seminars, and reports are not systematically consistent. And sometimes they are even misleading. So for example, uh, we should not compare the share of intra-regional trade in total trade for ECOWAS to the same statistics for European uh, Union at the same year. Why? Because uh, these uh, two regions are very different in terms of population, area, geography, and gross domestic product. And so these statistics do not measure only uh, trade integration. So this comparison is flawed. So what we are trying to do in AATM is to construct coherent uh, indicators. What we are also trying to do is to uh, improve the quality of the trade statistics, which is a, a, a really important issue concerning Africa. Um, so before leaving the floor to Julie and the speakers, I just want to explain that uh, AATM is uh, mostly the product of African researchers and uh, AgroDebt members. Uh, and so uh, the team is, uh, was fantastic this year with uh, Brahim Assisse from, from Burkina Faso, Fatou Sissé and Anatole Gundan from Senegal, Marco Quaramba and Buzani Moyo from Zimbabwe, Mamelou Nchake from Lesotho, Sunday Ojo from Benin, Fouseni Traoré from Mali, Shair Zaki from Egypt, and last, not least, Julie Kurtz from the US. So, uh, uh, this was a great team with uh, also the assistant, technical assistance of Pamela Stedman Edwards and Tidian Ba. Uh, I would like also to thank the peer reviewers that give the academic credibility to the report, but also the, the, I would like to thank the uh, outstanding uh, scientific leadership of David Laborde. Uh, AATM is, so is a product of a collaboration between IFPRI and, and Academia 2063. It also received uh, uh, an important financial support from the United States Agency for International Devop Development, USAID, but also from BMZ, the, the Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development in Germany, and the CGIAR uh, research program on policy institutions and markets. 
I would like to say that this year we were surprised by the events uh, because at the time of the choice of the contents of the reports, uh, early December 2019, uh, the pandemic had not begun to hurt the world population. Uh, so the subject of informal trade seemed to us uh, at this moment an important topic because it's a, a very strong characteristic of African trade, not only in terms of economic importance compared to formal trade, but also in terms of social impact, gender, but also African traditions. So uh, obviously this is still the case. Informal trade is uh, an important characteristic and we do not regret the choice of the subject. But in light of the importance today of the consequence of the health crisis, we would have liked to give more space to the consequence of these pandemics. Uh, nevertheless, we have tried to collect recent statistics uh, on African trade for the first six months of the year 2020, and also to uh, reflect on the mechanisms that make this health crisis a major economic crisis. So you will therefore find in chapter one and five elements of analysis of this crisis. Thanks to all of you. I wish you a good seminar. Thank you so much, Antoine. Uh, I will pass it off now to the first of our, our presenting author speakers, Dr. Sunday Ojo, who is the Deputy Director of Knowledge Systems at Academia 2063, and also no stranger at all to IFPRI, where he was a research fellow for many years. Sunday. Sunday, you are still muted. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, where you are. Julie, thank you for this uh, introduction. With that, I think I can uh, move to next slide, please. So I plan to present uh, some key findings from these uh, AATM reports. Uh, those findings are very interesting, and I think that after hearing from me, you will like to take a look to the whole report. Uh, a, a first finding which I would like to first uh, share with you is about uh, uh, the, the size of African uh, trade. We already know that it is a small share of the world total. But what we found this year in this year's report is that it is a fast growing trade. And this is a good news. Uh, it, is, it has more than double between 2003 and 2018. And we saw that it promised to go even, uh, uh, even uh, uh, faster. As, uh, we see that uh, there is a diversification of export destination with increasing shares toward the BRICS and other developing countries and decreasing share toward the EU. But uh, the EU remains the main destination with increasing importance in import value terms. The second, next slide, please. So, as a second uh, uh, finding I would like you to, to, to notice is that uh, intra-African trade is dominated by SADC and COMESA countries. You will see from this graph that SADC only contributes 45 
45% of all inter-African agricultural exports. Comesa contributes a 34, but ECAS only contributes 1%. Another good thing to see on this graph is that intra-African agricultural export grew faster than global agricultural export from 2008 to 2015. But something happened uh, during the, the most recent years and this good trend has been reversed. Next, next slide please. So another good uh, finding to share with you is that most intra-African trade occurs within regional economic communities. That means that within the regional economic community, it seems that countries tend to, to trade among themselves within the same region. And you can see from this graph that up to 84% of all intra-African exports originating from SADC actually happen within SADC. And for ECOWAS, for example, up to 80% of all extra intra-regional trade is between an ECOWAS country and another ECOWAS country. Only 20% of ECOWAS trade with Africa is with another African country. And this graph also shows that there is a potential here. That is, we can increase intra-African trade by further opening African countries to the, not only to the regional partners, but also to the partners out of the region. Next slide, please. So from the last year report, we learned something. We learned that the overall Africa uh, deficit or agricultural trade deficit has been declining since 2012. This good trend is continuing today. We found this year, a new thing we found this year is that when you consider specific food uh, value chains, the deficit is not declining, but it's it is continuously increasing. And you can see from this graph about cereal and cassava value chain, as well as vegetable oils and sugar value chains that uh, from uh, a deficit of 10 billion in 2003, the deficit in these three value chain reached 40 billion in 2018. This is huge. This increase is triggered by high economic growth, demographic pressure and rapid urbanization. And this also show that African agriculture is not feeling a huge domestic food demand that is, uh, that is uh, uh, appearing in Africa. Next slide, please. And uh, this is another nice uh, result that we know that intra-Africa export is growing. Well, this is a good news, but we also discovered this year that in fact, these intra-African export consists basically of processed products. This is a good news. That is not only, for example, for these value, uh, vegetable oils value chains, we know that the bulk of the African trade for these, in this value chain is intra-African. Second, is not, not only intra-African, but it is consists of processed products. And we saw the same trend 
for the cereal and the cassava value chain, and also for sugar value chains. Next slide, please. So let me uh, leave you with these concluding uh, uh, remarks. I think three things. Second, uh, first, trade facilitation efforts should be targeted to sustaining export diversification towards emerging and fast growing economies. This is happening already, but we need to make sure that it is sustained. Second, there is room for expanding intra-African trade by further opening countries to extra-regional trade flows. And I think that the African continental free trade area agenda is promising for helping intra-African traders save market opportunities in food value chains. Thank you for your attention. Thank you so much, uh, Sunday, uh, for your remarks. I will pass it on now to Shahir Zaki. Um, we are lucky enough to hear from uh, all three of the editors today. Um, um, Dr. Zaki is Assistant Professor of Economics um, and Faculty of the Economics and Political Science at Cairo University. Thank you, Shahir. Thank you so much, uh, Julie. Thank you. I would like to thank all the team of Academia and IFPRI uh, for uh, inviting me to be part of this uh, incredible panel. So I'll, mail, I'll be mainly talking about the uh, trade policy part of the AATM as uh, Sunday addressed the part of trade flows by examining intra and extra regional trade flows. So I'll be mainly talking about uh, trade policy dimensions. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, the main idea to look here at, uh, I mean, uh, of different chapters in the AATM 2020 is to analyze both uh, tariff and non-tariff uh, measures that uh, still hinder uh, African exporters. And that's why we covered several parts or several trade barriers that affect uh, exports performance, ranging from uh, tariffs to uh, domestic support to uh, non-tariff measures, uh, including conformity assessment, sanitary and phytosanitary measures that's, that mainly affect uh, agriculture uh, products. And uh, we also analyze um, to what extent we have in some sectors tariff escalation or tariff abatement in uh, the value chains. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, with the first part uh, to look at, uh, if we look at tariffs, we will see that tariffs in general are uh, not very high, especially in the main destinations where African exporters send their products. So uh, I mean, in this table, as you can see, uh, we can see, uh, we, we, uh, we say, uh, I mean, we can see that 60% of African economies, they face an average of uh, duty, uh, uh, an average duty rate lower than uh, 5%, which is, uh, which shows what extent classical tariffs are relatively low. Uh, but if we look at uh, African imports, we'll see that African uh, countries are more protected than uh, non-African countries to whom African exporters send their products. So we can see here that um, uh, around 28% uh, of the products that tariffs uh, is between zero and 5%, but 
35 uh, and then 35% of the products they face a, a tariff between 5 and 10% in african countries which shows to what extent there is divergence between african and non african uh, countries uh, next slide please and uh, with that if we look if we have a, a more specific uh, look at the sectoral classification uh, of uh, tariff we can see that the top 20 uh, percent of uh, or the, the top 20 export products exported by african countries and that represent around 58 percent of african agriculture exports in general they face in their destinations a very low tariff of around 3.5 percent we can have some heterogeneity uh, at the product level so for instance we can we have uh, some products that face a tariff that is uh, higher than 10%, like cashew nuts, like uh, sesame seeds and maize. Uh, then some other products, they face a tariff protection of less than 1%, uh, mainly cocoa beans. And the other products among these 20 products, they face uh, a tariff that is uh, lower than 5%, including uh, tobacco. Uh, whose tariff is around 60.1%. So in general, we can say that tariff is in general low with some heterogeneity across different products. But in general, uh, I mean, what matters more than tariff, as we'll see later, is non-tariff measures. So next slide, please. And if we look at non-tariff measures, we'll see that here, for instance, we look at uh, different countries, uh, the share of, tra of trade affected by non-tariff measures for three main sectors uh, that are related to the agricultural sector, including animals, food products, and vegetables. And as you can see here, we have a large heterogeneity across countries, uh, at the, I mean, in Africa, that's one. And even when we compare African countries to non-African countries who are the main producers of agricultural products like the European Union, like Brazil, India, and the United States. So just to give you uh, an overview of that, we can see that here that, for instance, 95% uh, of animal uh, products are, are uh, they face some non-tariff measures in Ethiopia. This figure is a bit lower in Gambia with 36%, even lower for food products, 16%. But for non-African countries who are the main producers of uh, agricultural products as well, uh, we have uh, a country like Brazil, uh, where non-tariff measures, they really matter a lot, uh, at least 70% for animals, food, and vegetables. European Union, to, to a lesser extent, with around 40% or 50%, depending on the sector. The United States, in line with Brazil, uh, where we have uh, around 70%. So, uh, uh, next slide, please. With non-tariff measures, we have also one of the specific measures that we have is uh, spe specifically conformity assessment. And uh, adding to the conformity assessment, next slide, please, we have also the uh, domestic uh, support uh, that characterizes several agricultural products. And uh, before talking about the agricultural uh, products and uh, the domestic support, if we look at the different value chains, we'll see also that we have some sectors where we have tariff escalation or tariff abatement, meaning that the higher uh, the, the value added, the higher the tariff. And we can see in the next slide uh, in this graph, uh, to what extent in the main uh, producers of agricultural products, 
We have, in some cases, tariff escalation where semi-processed food are high, more protected than unprocessed food, uh, than, than unprocessed products. But in general, fully processed products are, in general, uh, less protected. And the last trade policy uh, dimension that uh, we, uh, we look at, next slide, please, is the uh, domestic support. And we can see that for the domestic support, it differs between countries. So we have uh, Brazil, who mainly supports, uh, provides some government support service, mainly to the infrastructure, to the research and development. The EU supports mainly its producers. The United States supports mainly uh, its consumers. The share of it to, 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 to the value added uh, in terms of the domestic support to GDP is the highest in China. Uh, so that's mainly the overview of uh, non-tariff measures. And clearly, in order to improve exports in, uh, in Africa, uh, these different types of non-tariff measures have to be addressed in African countries and also in their uh, trade partners. And with this, I will conclude uh, my analysis. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Zaki. Um, I will move on now to the last of our presenting authors. Um, as we mentioned, the, the agricultural trade monitor focuses on a different region of Africa each year. And this year, it, the focus was on Southern Africa. So um, speaking from um, one of our Southern Africa team members, Dr. Mamelo Nkachi, who is a senior research fellow at the trade industry and, and, and in private sector development at Botswana Institute for Development Policy Analysis. Mamelo. Thank you, Julie. Greetings to everyone. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to uh, discuss some of our findings uh, on regional integration in Southern Africa. Next slide, slide please. So just to give a, a brief background of uh, Southern Africa, there are several regional economic communities within this region, SADC, Comesa, EAC, and SACU. But in this chapter, we focus mainly on SADC, but also throwing uh, from the other regional economic communities. So SADC was basically uh, established in 1992 and currently has 16 members. Uh, some of the initiatives that are important to uh, um, agricultural regional integration in the in the in the region include the SADAC trade protocol, which was implemented in 2002, and uh, because of the progressive uh, reduction in trade barriers as a result of this uh, trade protocol, uh, SADAC was uh, led to establishing the SADAC free trade area in 2008 as uh, to deepen regional integration in the in the region. The other initiative includes the Regional Indicative Strategic Development Plan, which was adopted in 2003. And also importantly to the agricultural trade was the Strategic Declaration on Agriculture and Food Security, which was enacted in 2004 to commit and enhance uh, uh, agriculture as a means of um, food security. Next slide, please. However, uh, SADAC has, uh, has, has, has met several constraints to achieving its milestones on regional integration, which includes establishing the customs union in 2010, the common market in 2015, the monetary union in 2016, and a single currency and economic union by 2018. And up, up to this stage, SADAC has only reached the stage of the free trade uh, area. And 
because of this, um, um, there are constraints that have actually uh, hindered the progress to a, a, another stage of regional integration within the region. This includes the multiple and uh, uh, an unequal uh, tariff regimes, which um, involve many countries within the region with individual tariff policies that do not converge. Yet we know that customs union needs a single common market uh, external tariff in order to, 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 to operate effectively. Another uh, uh, common constraint is, uh, uh, involves the overlapping membership among member states. Up to this point, only Mozambique belongs to one, uh, to no more than one regional trading block, while other countries belong to more than one regional trading block in the region. Another constraint is the weak monetary fiscal and fiscal variables, including uh, unequal inflation levels that do not converge to the target of 7%, GDP debt ratio that do not, um, that exceeds the recommended level of 60%, and also the insufficient uh, um, foreign reserves that do not cover the six months of imports as required by the customs union uh, specifications. Another constraint includes the asymmetric external shocks and varying challenges in the banking sector. Also the poor performance in the regional integration dimensions as said by SADAC, including trade integration, macroeconomic and productive integration, etc. Next slide, please. So, uh, uh, as we, we, we profile uh, some of the, the, the indicators of agricultural trade integration within the region, we saw that um, the total share of agricultural products exported within SADAC by member countries is, is, is significantly low, accounting for only 30% uh, compared to the, to the exports to other regions in Africa and even outside South Africa. And only South Africa and Zimbabwe are the largest exporter in the region uh, uh, as of the 2018 um, statistics. This is mainly due to several uh, reasons, including the mismatch between supply and demand, some of the supply side bottlenecks, such as input shortages, etc. Another um, profiling um, style aspect that we found was that there's large heterogeneity in agricultural products within the region, where South Africa dominates, accounting for around 60% of total interstate exports as of 2018 statistics. And this, during this period, there was an interest in interstate uh, agricultural exports for some SADAC countries, including Botswana, Namibia, Zambia, and Zimbabwe, while there was a decline for others, including Eswatini, uh, Mauritius, and Tanzania. Next. Um, Another uh, important fact is that there is high concentration of agricultural products within the region, where the countries export almost similar products, mainly in primary, uh, primary commodities. And also there is um, a, a high uh, trade in maize that has been stimulated by the implementation of the SADAC FTA agreement, and which uh, it seems to be mostly benefiting South Africa. Next slide, please. And in terms of competitiveness and market diversification, we see that 
Most countries have a comparative advantage in animal products, while others have comparative advantage in vegetable products. And also we see that feather trade is less diversified in terms of products and market compared to the rest of the, of the world. Some countries show a trend in, uh, in increasing extensive margin, while show, some uh, show an increase in, in intensive, uh, intensive margin, uh, as, uh, as the report shows. Next slide. So uh, in terms of regional change, uh, regional change, value change development in, in, in agro-processing, we see that SADAC has a critical agenda to develop its regional uh, value change, uh, value change in, the, in the region. But most of the current trade agreements hamper the development of regional agricultural uh, value change as, as of the current uh, uh, information. And because they impose uh, high tariffs on manufacturers and agricultural goods, as well as export prices and young, and young tariff barriers. Uh, with this, I would like to conclude that regional uh, intersection in Southern Africa uh, is one of the, involves one of the oldest uh, regional trading communities, which was established in 1910. And there have been some improvements in terms of initiatives since the starting of SADAC in 1992, which includes the free trade area, but there are still a lot of uh, constraints that inhibit uh, regional integration in the, in, the, in, the, in the region. However, this could be overcome by some of the initiatives that the countries themselves can, can take, including improving political will, improving infrastructure, Improving, improving uh, infrastructure in the region and, and the likes, and also reducing the overprotection of the agricultural sector. So this, I would like to, to thank you. Thank you so much, Mamelo. Um, with that, we will move on. Uh, we have the pleasure um, as, a, um, as a discussant today to have Dr. Tracy Davids, who is the Manager of Commodity Markets and Foresight at the Bureau for Food and Agricultural Policy um, and researcher at the University of Pretoria. So with that, Dr. Davids, and then just a reminder to all of our viewers as well, sorry to jump in, um, please enter your questions in the chat or on Twitter using the hashtag AskIFPRI. Um, we will be starting our Q&A after Dr. Davids has finished. Thanks. Thank you very much, Julie. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to do comments on a publication which I really enjoyed reading. Um, so firstly, I think I'd, I'd just say a word of congratulations on a really comprehensive report to, to everyone involved. I think it launches at quite a difficult, difficult time. Um, I think no discussion is complete right now without taking the impact of COVID into consideration, particularly in the trade context. Um, and while the timeline and, and the late impact of it with respect to, to the publication timeline was, was I'm sure, very difficult, um, I think it does a really good job of, of incorporating, at least to some extent, the effects of the pandemic um, on agricultural trade in the region. Um, I think it notes well the the fact that we had sufficient supplies, um, but policy responses contributed to price impacts, 
Um, and also that, that maybe COVID highlighted some vulnerabilities in, in the global trade system in terms of logistics and so on. And I think in that respect, it's really important to consider because in, it, it, it can be argued that it's altered the way many countries think about trade. Um, you know, will there be now a greater influence on domestic supply chains? Will they impose stricter sanitary and phytosanitary regulations? Um, I think all of these are worth considering um, going forward. And, and I think at a time like this, when, when the world is thinking about it, it's a really relevant report. And I think to bring out the importance of trade and the contribution that trade can make um, at this time is, is very important. Also when one thinks about the recovery from, from the pandemic. So further to that, I think it contributes on it to a number of factors. I mean, firstly, I would say just something that's often not recognized uh, in terms of the publications is, is accuracy of data. The efforts that's gone in here to obtain a good database, um, to clean out the trade data and to really, you know, it's, it's been a really systematic approach to get the best possible information to base the analysis on. I think the next step would be to get informal trade incorporated to the best extent possible. Um, I know this is something we have very little information on, uh, but it's a critical aspect in the region. And, and from that perspective, um, I think it's really pleasing to see that a chapter here has been dedicated to it already. Um, as a researcher working on trade issues, it's a standard question when you do a presentation. Um, to what extent have you accounted for, for informal trade volumes? Um, by its very nature, it's not really measured. Uh, but I think what's been provided here is, is a great understanding of why it occurs, what underpins the extent of, of informal trade in the region. Um, the next question then becomes, how do we measure it? Who should measure it? Um, and I think there's some promising initiatives raised here um, that, that speaks to, to ways in which it can be measured in future. Um, also some additional ones worth mentioning, something like Fusenet, but they're often limited in, in geographical scope and commodity coverage. And I think that's, that's definitely something to spend some time on in future is how do we better measure this and how do we get it included in the trade databases? Um, I think in terms of the context of trade performance, it's, it's, it's a very well, it does a good job of documenting the well-known issues, things like the cost of trade, the non-tariff barriers, all of them are given sufficient coverage, but I think it also touches on some finer nuances in terms of, of the product mix, what's going where, the level of, of processing, I think is particularly important. That's, that's been looked at in, in, in nice depth, um, which is something that you don't always find when trade is discussed. Um, and I think this points to the increasing role of the processing sector, which was also mentioned earlier. Um, we've heard of the so-called missing middle, the smaller processes in the region that make a great contribution. But I think as we think of, of the recovery from COVID, we have to ask ourselves how these initiatives can be upscaled. You know, where can we invest? How can we grow this sector to really contribute to the recovery um, post COVID-19? I think it also notes some great success stories. Um, one of which stood out is the, the, the diversification geographically um, the growing role of Asian markets, markets that are more dynamic and, and growing um, stronger. And I think that's, that's a nice thing to see um, in terms of where trade in the region is going. Another important aspect is then the intra-African intra trade. Um, I think this has been a policy goal of African, African policymakers for a long time. If I think back to the Malawi Declaration, now the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, multiple regional trade blocks. Um, and I think just understanding the current patterns, where things are going, um, that, that's already very helpful um, in terms of informing agreements such as the Continental Free Trade Agreement. I think understanding the, the contribution of these regional trade blocks, but also noting the concentration within some of them. So how do we diversify this? How do we broaden that base of trade? 
um, because I think, you know, to have a goal to, to grow intra-regional trade is great, but if it's only going to come from a handful of countries, then it's probably not attaining the purpose that you wanted. Um, I think in terms of challenges, the, the focus on non-tariff measures, I really appreciate it. Um, I think this is one of the biggest challenges also facing the Continental Free Trade Agreement. Um, you know, literature highlights many instances where among the regional blocks, tariffs have declined, but the non-tariff measures have increased. Um, and I think, you know, the, the extent to which these are covered and highlighted in the report and, and the detail with which they're addressed goes a long way to, to adding the information for, for policymakers to address these issues. I think also the cost of trade is a critical factor, um, something like logistics, infrastructure, transportation, um, all of that's well documented, but it really remains a key question, you know, how do you get products to move more efficiently? What investment should you be prioritizing to really meaningfully reduce the cost of trade? Because I think the, the Continental Free Trade Agreement is very ambitious. Um, it's going to create a huge market, um, but it won't be successful unless it's accompanied by measures to, to move products more efficiently and reduce the cost um, of trade within the region. And I think maybe just the last point to note then is also the, the emphasis placed on competitiveness. And I, I enjoyed, I think the, the competitive, how competitive the region is in high value exports is also well documented, but I think import replacement strategies are, are being pursued in many countries in Africa. And I think to take a good look at, at how competitive the region is in, in specific products and, and whether these policies should be pursued in all these products um, is a very valuable contribution. Um, so with that, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Davids. And with that, um, we've concluded the speaker portion of our event uh, and we will move on to the question and answer. So I'm, I'm gonna ask all of the speakers to make sure you have your videos turned on and yourselves unmuted when, when you speak. And then just for our viewers, a reminder that you can still submit questions into the chat or on IFPRI um, or at, sorry, at, at hashtag ask IFPRI on Twitter. So the first question um, I'm gonna to direct to Antoine. Um, this is from Tim Thomas, who is also a senior research fellow at IFPRI and just asking for some clarification on the data set on what we're using for trade um, and how wide does Africa go, Africa go regionally? Wondering, does this include North African regions? And then um, about the commodities themselves. So um, as we looked at, as looking at grain exports, did you examine maize, rice, wheat separately? Um, and then also um, another question that's related to that, did it also include any other, did you include any other small grains that Africa produces but are not as um, prevalent as global commodities? Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Julie. And thank you for these uh, really interesting questions. Um, so uh, concerning the data, um, what we have done is to uh, start with the ComTrade database, uh, which is the United Nations uh, database on, on trade. And uh, we have uh, conducted a statistical treatment uh, in order to uh, correct this data, because in fact, uh, these data are known to be of poor quality concerning uh, African uh, trade, cross-border trade, uh, because in fact, the, 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 the customs are not recording very well uh, tr trade flows uh, that cross the border. 
And so the National Statistical Institute in each country uh, do not have uh, access to high quality data. Uh, and so the, the United Nations country data um, uh, is, is a, a good uh, quality uh, database, but for uh, Africa, uh, it is often considered as uh, not very good. So the problems was to conduct a statistical treatment. You have an explanation of uh, the statistical treatment in, in, the, in the report, but it, I, we think that it has significantly um, increased the, the quality of, of this data. Uh, Northern Africa uh, countries are uh, in, included in, in, the, in our considerations in, in our study. Um, and so we, we, we have statistics uh, for Northern African countries. Uh, concerning cereals, we, we, um, we make uh, an analysis of uh, statistics on rice, maize, uh, wheat separately. Unfortunately, not of, uh, for other grains. We have considered only the, 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 the main cereals, but you have uh, statistics in the report about uh, uh, these uh, cereals separately. Okay, over. Thank you so, thank you so much, Antoine. Um, this next question I will direct towards Sunday. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about to explain why there was um, growth in intra-African exports between 2008 and 2015 and share a little bit more about which countries are exporting um, and importing more than others at the, the continental or regional level? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Julie, and thank you for the question. Uh, so the first part of the question is to explain uh, how uh, intra-African trade is growing uh, so fast. And I think I, I mentioned it somewhere. It has to do with uh, everything going now in Africa, going on in Africa in terms of first uh, economic growth which is uh, 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 triggering uh, more, more uh, income. It has to do with uh, democrat uh, demographic uh, uh, pressure, which uh, has to do also uh, with uh, uh, more demand. And it has to, to do with urbanization, where we saw that many uh, that uh, uh, urban uh, uh, lifestyles are now adopted among rural population, uh, basically in terms of uh, uh, food, the kind of food people eat and the way it is processed. So all this is uh, creating more demand that only African agriculture can supply. It has to do with the way these food products that are trading, that are traded between African countries are processed and you can find them within Africa. Yes, you can have the raw products elsewhere, outside, but the processed products that are uh, uh, traded along uh, informal uh, 
cross-border trade or formal cross-border trade uh, can only be satisfied from uh, uh, African supply. So I think this has to do with, with that. It, it has to do with the way uh, African is growing economically, demographically, in, in terms of habits. But the, your second question is to know uh, which countries are contributing to that uh, intra-African trade. So we can, let's take this uh, by, by, by regional economic communities. So in terms of leading exporters, you know, let's say uh, ECOWAS, for example, you have Cote d'Ivoire and uh, Senegal as the top two. And uh, you, you, you can have in SADC, South Africa and Zambia, these are the top two. Uh, in AMU, you have Tunisia and Morocco. And uh, in uh, uh, what's ECAS, you have Rwanda and Cameroon. So these countries are top, uh, top uh, uh, exporters in those uh, regional economic communities. You will find other countries as top, uh, top uh, importers. Uh, uh, for example, in AMU, in uh, uh, Arab Maghreb Union, you have Libya and Morocco has top importers. And uh, in uh, Comesa, you have uh, Kenya and Egypt. In the CAS, I think you can have DRC and Gabon. And ECOWAS, you have Mali and Burkina Faso. And SADEC, you have South Africa and Namibia. So these are, I just uh, cite the top two uh, countries in each uh, regional economic country. But in the report, you will have more details on all these things. You will cited up to the the top five uh, leading importers or exporters. Back to you. Thank you so much, Sunday. Um, the next question I, I'd like to, to throw toward uh, both Tracy and Mamelo. Um, so this is about, in particular, the SADC region. Um, and in this, the inter-regional picture, does the data capture fisheries and aquaculture? And, and then what are the most um, exported marine fishery products out of the region? Uh, let's start with Mamelo. And don't forget Thank you, to- Julie. Thank you, Julie. Uh, the, the data we're having some uh, hello am i here hear you now go ahead so i was saying the data that we used covered a summary of animal products and crop products and at the at the at the, at the low, more disaggregated we do have we do not have basically generally the fisheries uh, when we classify the top, for example, top exported products and uh, maybe top imported products. Thank you. Thank you. And then Tracy, I'd like to add on and Mamela, you should feel free to jump in here as well. Um, in the SADC region in particular, since there is already really robust trade in Southern Africa, um, uh, what are some of the expected benefits that you, you anticipate with the African continental free trade area? 
So I'll pass that to Tracy and then Mamelo, feel free to add on to that as well. Um, great, thanks very much, Judy. Um, I, th I think anyway, in terms of expected benefits, so obviously a country like, like South Africa, for instance, which is already a strong exporter in, into the region, um, I guess reductions in tariff barriers can only be a positive. So I, I think, you know, you can broaden that base into Africa. But as I said earlier, it, it really will require also reductions in the cost of transport, infrastructural investment, so on. If, if that can come with the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, um, I really see a lot of benefits there. South Africa, for instance, is, is very competitive in, in things like, like fresh fruit, uh, for instance, um, but it's a perishable product. So for that product to trade into Africa, a lot of the something like, like table grapes, for instance, a lot of those products are really difficult to trade into the region because the, the, the um, cold chain doesn't exist. So if, if that continental free trade agreement really comes with the investment to establish that type of infrastructure, I think there's a, there's a lot of scope for products that are currently going outside of the region um, to also be traded within the region. Wonderful. Thank you. Mamelo, is there anything you would like to add to that? Hello, thank you. We hear you. Okay, thank you. No, in addition to what he said, I think uh, uh, I will also agree that Sadak has, has a greater benefit uh, on the international, inter African continental free trade area because Sadak uh, uh, has actually liberalized most of its uh, product lines more than, uh, more than other regional trading blocks in Africa. Uh, uh, if we talk also about SACU, which is the customs union, uh, this, this is one area where they should take advantage of, uh, of, uh, of the market created by the, the free trade area that is to be implemented. But uh, of course, the region still needs to further liberalize its market uh, in a way that promotes trade creation and, and, and also should probably copy other traditional trading blocks uh, in that area, such as the, the ECOWAS. Thank you. Thank you, Momelo. Um, so Tracy, you had mentioned um, some of the infrastructure. We have a question around um, that from Colin Hendricks at the University of Denver and the Peterson Institute. Um, so just saying that the, the barriers of, of uh, on the policy side are very interesting, but how much does the supporting infrastructure roads, et cetera, uh, really play a role um, and and I, I can I can throw that to Sunday and Shahir, please. Sunday, go ahead. Yes, I, I hope I catch your question very well. You 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 asked about the condition uh, and the policies uh, that could help. Uh, uh, expand the African trade, right? Well, actually, um, the question was to sort of counter the policy side. How much does the, the infrastructure and roads um, and, and policies and investment that it su support that kind of um, uh, infrastructure for trade, what, how much does that play a role in this larger conversation? Exactly. Yes. The, the infrastructure play a big role, a big role in in, in African trade and everything happening today 
uh, everything that is not uh, uh, not sufficiently done can uh, more or less be related to uh, condition, to trade conditions and infrastructure are very important, like road infrastructure, like processing infrastructure, like uh, storage, many, many, many things are related to infrastructure and uh, what we can do to improve or uh, to increase that uh, trade is to work not only on uh, policies in terms of barriers or, or policy instruments, but work on infrastructure so that uh, 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 goods can be moved easily from a country to another and within a country from a region to another. So I think infrastructure is, can play a, a big role in any attempt to increase African trade. Thank you, Shahir. Thank you, Jolie, uh, and thank you, Sunday, for addressing the first part of the question. Uh, I can't agree more uh, on the importance of uh, infrastructure, especially that, in general, uh, to, I think we can divide non-tariff measures that uh, we're talking about in two main groups. So the first group, like domestic support, this has, be, this has to be tackled more either uh, at the multilateral level, the regional level, or uh, in a plurilateral level, uh, between uh, different trade partners because uh, it's much more, I would say, uh, strategic uh, compared to other, uh, I would say, technical uh, non-tariff measures like sanitary, uh, and sanita sanitary and phytosanitary measures and the technical barriers to trade. Uh, so the first group would be more uh, considered or tackled through trade negotiations. But the second part, which is basically uh, on technical non-tariff measures uh, has, um, I mean, they have to be addressed through three main uh, things. So first, uh, definitely through improving infrastructure because until now trade facilitation is still an issue in most of the African countries and the automation of uh, customs is still problematic given the fact that products can wait a lot for long, uh, for long, uh, I mean, for uh, when we compare this to other countries, uh, the time to export or time to import is really high in African countries compared to either emerging or developed countries. So uh, improving infrastructure and automating customs will definitely help improving this. And second, despite the fact that we have several trade corridors in Africa, but again, they suffer from non either non-automation or uh, inefficient bureaucratic inefficiencies or perhaps um, uh, some corruption. So that's why the automation or the adoption of uh, different softwares like Asecuda, Plus Plus, or other uh, softwares will help overcome this. And finally, when it comes to uh, barriers like technical barriers to trade or sanitary and phytosanitary measures, it's mainly about the quality of the products themselves. So, and this, this mainly can be addressed through uh, helping exporters complying with the standards of their main trade partners uh, whether it's the uh, European Union, the United States, or either emerging economies, given the fact that we showed in the report that emerging, economic, uh, emerging economies like Brazil, Russia, India, and uh, China, now they are, uh, their share in African exports is increasing uh, significantly. Yeah. So I think that's how we can approach these different uh, aspects related also to infrastructure. Thank you. Thank you, Jair. 
We have a couple questions around um, supply chains and food processing. So um, both from Teresa Moyo and um, from Mamadou Tankari, um, just asking questions about why, how do we explain that interregional trade is mainly um, composed of processed uh, products, e even though given though that, um, that African industrialization is still low. Um, and then another related question on what are some of the strategies to, to further increase uh, manufactured agricultural goods in and out of Africa? So um, I will, I'm gonna throw this question um, right back to you, Shair. So, uh, I mean, uh, regarding the second question on how to improve this, I think it's mainly uh, related to to what extent we have a coordination between the industrial policy and trade policy. Because until now, in most of the African countries, whether in sub-Saharan Africa or in Northern Africa, we still have this disconnection between trade policy and industrial policy. Trade policy is just perceived as um, tariff negotiation or non-tariff negotiation, but we do not really mainstream the industrial policy in trade policy or trade policy in the industrial policy. So I think that uh, uh, making the trade policy more connected to uh, the industrial priorities and uh, really attracting either uh, FDI or domestic investors to invest in sectors that have a high value added, uh, that uh, create jobs and that help upgrade uh, the exports is definitely an important priority because most of the investments that we have are either in raw material or in oil sectors which are uh, either not intensive in labor or have a very limited value added. So I think improving investment, whether they are domestic or foreign, in these sectors that will create more linkages, backward and forward linkages, and up help upgrade uh, exports will be uh, an important, uh, uh, I mean, measure to, uh, to promote these value chains. Um, uh, on the first part, I think uh, here we're talking about uh, unprocessed, semi-processed, and uh, processed products, not necessarily very complicated processed products, because uh, I mean here, uh, when we focused on some value chains and our products, we have processed, it means that it, it's just not a raw product, but this does not mean that, uh, necessarily mean that uh, it's a, an industrial uh, complicated product. So that's, that's why, again, uh, the, the better the investments we have in the manufacturing sector, the more, the, the higher the value added and therefore the higher the, uh, the degree of processing we can add to the raw products. And perhaps I think also Antoine can uh, talk a bit more about the uh, specific products like uh, uh, either sugar or uh, other uh, grains that we analyze in, uh, in chapter four of the AATM. Antoine, is there anything you wanted to add to that before I jump to the next? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Shair. Yes, you're right. Uh, so what we have observed in this in this report is the fact that uh, interregional inter trade is uh, relatively low, intra-regional trade is relatively high. So it means that uh, I mean by that uh, intra-rec, uh, intra-regional economic community trade is relatively high in Africa, but between uh, regional economic communities, the level of agricultural trade is relatively low. 
uh, and this is related to uh, non-tariff barriers, but also tariff barriers. Yeah, there are still some tariff barriers on uh, agricultural trade between regional economic communities. Um, uh, so what, what we have observed also is the fact that uh, there are also some uh, value chains uh, that are beginning to appear uh, in Africa uh, uh, concerning uh, uh, a, a few food preparation. So it's really interesting because it means that uh, we have uh, unprocessed commodities that are exported, uh, exported from one country to the other uh, in order to get a new transformation. But as uh, Shair has just mentioned, it is not uh, until now very complicated uh, transformation. So there are still some progress uh, to, be, to be realized uh, on, on, in this regard. Thank you. Thank you, Anton. So we have a, a question about the impact on um, producing farmers for importing countries and a related question on uh, the potential winners and losers of trade. Um, so I wanna, I wanna direct this question to, to Tracy and Anton and anyone else who may wanna jump in before we, we need to close out. So in the, in the respect that the trade always produces some winners and losers and that, that many of the social protection programs that are aimed at, at helping those facing the greatest losses don't always fully compensate for the, the losses due to a change in trade flows. So as, as regional uh, trade integration increases, who are some of the potential losers and, and what are some of the policies that can, better, that can help better distribute those benefits of trade? So I'll pass it Tracy to you first. Great. Um, thanks, Drew. Um, yeah, I think, as you say, they, they are always winners and losers to trade. Um, but I think, yeah, one would hope, at least in the longer term, that, that the winners would be more than the losers. Um, I think policies always need to make sure that the playing field is level. Um, so while obviously one wants markets open and one wants trade to flow, you also want to be sure that, that people can compete on, on an equal footing. Um, but I also think that, you know, one of the great benefits of trade is, is in driving efficiency. So I think any, any, if you talk about supporting policy and, and making sure that people also benefit, I think it also speaks to making sure that, that you can produce efficiently and, and, you know, investments into increasing, improving productivity and so on, um, which would allow your own producers to compete more efficiently. And then, then you have winners on, on both ends, you know, on, on, on the producer side and on the consumer side. I can, yes, I can add a few comments. Uh, uh, so thank you, Tracy. Uh, Tracy is, is, is right. I mean, uh, trade always uh, implies, openness to trade uh, always implies winners and losers. And uh, uh, very often the, the, the gain from, uh, of the, the winners are, are larger than the losses of the losers. So uh, trade agreements are interesting in this regard. Um, but it produces winners and, and losers. And so, so for example, um, uh, in a country, we can have a, a trade reform that implies, but it depends on the characteristics of the country, 
uh, it can imply some uh, in some sectors, some agricultural sectors, some losses for uh, the local farmers and, and gains for the local consumers, in particular in urban areas. But in other in other sectors of the same country, you will have some some winners because they gain by uh, expanding their uh, access to, to to markets and in particular to foreign markets. So it's a complicated story. Uh, governments have to be very careful in order to uh, compensate the, the, the losers. Uh, as much as it is possible. Uh, I would like to add the, the fact that uh, there is also a, a confusion about uh, the objective uh, of agricultural and trade policy in terms of self-sufficiency and food security. Uh, self-sufficiency means that the local market is reserved to local producers and local farmers, while food security is a way to, to be sure that all people in within a country have access to uh, cheap food uh, sufficient for their uh, living. So, I mean, uh, um, and, and so openness to trade can uh, improve food security, but it can deteriorate uh, self-sufficiency. And I think that the objective of food security is the most important one in order to, to reduce uh, hunger. Thank you. Thank you, Anton. Uh, as we wrap up our section, our session now, um, I want to give everyone to just give a quick 20 second summary of, of some of the takeaways you have from here. And then we will close finally with Anton. So um, let us, uh, we will start backwards. Mamelo, could you finish us off with just a quick 20 second summary? Thank you, Julie. So uh, as we have had, uh, it is very important for governments to be aware when implementing these trade reforms. Uh, so this applies also to SADC, the Southern African region. Uh, it has a great potential as a, as a region, as it has moved some stages towards regional integration and integrating markets and creating some, 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 some markets for itself and for the rest of Africa. And especially in the implementation of the African continental food trade area, there's even more opportunities for these countries to, 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 to engage with other regional economic communities. Uh, but that there's still much that needs to be done to improve uh, and deepen regional integration within the region itself. And mostly there's need for strong political will, leadership skills uh, to achieve these milestones and strengthen regional integration in the region and for the rest of Africa. Thank you. Thank you, Mamelo. Tracy, I will pass it on to you. And a reminder, just keep it to that quick 20 seconds. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think yeah, trade obviously has always been an important factor uh, for African policymakers, driving intra-regional trade in particular. Um, I think we're in a bit of a difficult time right now with the pandemic, and, and maybe it sets some of those back a little bit. Um, but I think agriculture has a, has a massive role to play in the recovery from that. And, and I think trade is also critical to achieving that. So if we can reduce the cost of trade and if, if we can make it easier and more efficient to trade, I think um, it has a huge role to play in the recovery. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. Shahira, I will pass it on to you so, for some summarizing remarks. So uh, I think I'll just say three quick points. So first, I think it's definitely very important to address uh, the quality uh, of products issue in order to help African exporters comply with different standards and remove these non-tariff measures. 
Second, uh, improve, uh, really taking more, uh, I would say, seriously the issue of domestic support at the regional and the, the multilateral level. And finally, automating customs is definitely a, a real priority to make trade uh, easier and to make it really uh, more facilitated. Thank you. Thank you, Shayer. Sunday, I'll pass it to you. Yes, thank you, Julie. Uh, let me say this. Um, I think I have no doubt that uh, African countries can significantly increase uh, uh, trade among themselves by tapping into the growing domestic demand that we are seeing. But for that, effective implementation of the African continental trade, uh, free, free trade area is important. It will be the major step toward how to seize that potential. Thank you. Thank you, Sunday. And finally, to Anton. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Julie, Shahir, Sunday, Mamelo, Tracy. You did a remarkable job today. Uh, I guess you presented really well the AATM 2020 report. Concerning the impact of the COVID-19, there are many analyses that uh, are accessible on the IFPRI website. Uh, and uh, do not hesitate to email me if you have questions about uh, the, the report or specific questions or specific requests. Uh, of course, I will respond to easy questions and I will uh, forward the difficult questions to Shahir and Sunday. And uh, I can tell you that we have started to work on the AATN 2021. It will also be the result of uh, collaboration between IFPRI and Academia 2063. And it will give new updated statistics on food and agricultural trade in Africa, but also new indicators that will give you a, a new perspective on agricultural trade in Africa. Thank you very much and uh, see you next year. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. A reminder that we, uh, IFRI has another policy seminar this coming Thursday um, on the political economy of COVID-19 impacts on agriculture and food policies. And a reminder to go to our website to read the full report and the synopsis. Thank you to all our viewers around the world and to all of our presenters. Have a good morning, afternoon, and good night.